Hi everyone, Bill Giannone here. Welcome again to another Crestcast. Today is going to be about stop trying to be the next someone else and try to be the first you. You know, it's a pretty simple concept, but we all fall into the same trap all the time because in the way of thinking, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. We've all heard that before. But in business, creativity and being different is viewed very negatively. We're supposed to take a roadmap that someone else has prepared and just simply cut and paste that. And though some of that does have validity, you know, many companies have tried and failed, so we want to take the lessons of the past companies that have been poor and companies that have succeeded, and we'd want to try to emulate them. The problem is you still have to make it yours. No one can be Warren Buffett and create a Warren Buffett-type company because Warren Buffett's mind works different than anybody else's. He's wildly successful, but if you used his model, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed the same level of success. It doesn't even mean you're guaranteed success at all. You'd be doing the same thing, but you wouldn't be doing them at all similarly. That's what it's like in our business right now. There's a lot of competition. There's also a lot of copying going on. We want to make sure that we understand good processes are important. Emulating others' good processes are fine. Obviously, Dick Wagner and I spend all of our time coaching companies on process, coaching companies on how to do things in a similar fashion. But as individual coaches and mentors, our goal is to make sure that we're doing it in a way that best exemplifies your skill sets, your company, your culture. So don't be like everyone else. There are five things I want you to be. I want you to be creative. Remember, everybody's mind works differently. You can't be creative at the same level as anyone else in the industry. Yes, you might have similar ideas, or you might even have the same idea about a specific thing once. But your entire creative process and anybody else's entire creative process are going to be very different. So be creative, but be your own level of creative. Don't go looking all over the internet or reading any blogs about what somebody else is doing and then try to own it for yourself. Use your own mind and be your own creative way. Be dangerous. I don't mean go out there and threaten people, obviously. Being dangerous means be willing to take chances. Be that guy that nobody really knows what you're going to do next. You know, a little odd, a little off the wall, a little bit of a challenge. That's always really good. Remember, people who are really bad in business spend a lot of time looking at what the competition's doing. I don't believe in that. I don't coach that. I believe you set your own path. You set your own trail. And as long as you're playing the game right, even if your competition succeeds, you can succeed as well. It's not a net sum zero game. We're all going to be able to find work if we're good. 
I were going to find work at the expense of those who are bad. So I don't care what they're doing as long as I'm doing the right thing. So be dangerous. Don't be predictable. That leads me to the next one. Be unexpected. Don't be routine. Don't be able to be predictable by someone else. Now, that doesn't mean come up with these crazy half-cock schemes and you start implementing them without thinking them out. It just means think outside the box. Next one, be first. Don't be a copycat. Don't always want to do what someone else is doing. Be first. Think fresh. Think unique. A really good idea for doing something is if you could say to yourself, man, I don't think anybody's ever tried this before. That doesn't mean it won't flop. It just means you're being yourself and you're trying to take chances based on the way you operate, your thoughts, your processes, your risk tolerances. And I tipped off the last one. The final B is be yourself. Don't say, well, this is what Mark Cuban would have done, or this is what Bill Gates would have done. You know what? They're different people than you. Their situations were different. Mark Cuban made a lot of money early on in, in tech, and he became a billionaire, but he wasn't even married. So if you're going to make decisions for yourself and your family based on the fact that what Mark Cuban would do, his situation was entirely different. He could risk it all knowing that he could go get a job for $10 an hour if, he, if it all went bad. You wouldn't want to do that with your wife and children. So don't think that same way. Everybody's got to be themselves. Let's talk about in most industries or in most businesses or in most places where people are looked at by the public. They're always being compared to someone before them. You see it all the time in Hollywood and in sports. Those are the two main places you see it. But in Hollywood, it's always who's going to be the next Marlon Brando or who's going to be the next Elizabeth Taylor. And that's happened all the time. You know, the next heartthrob. Who's going to be the next James Dean? And then Brad Pitt comes along. Who's going to be the next Brad Pitt? You know, it's not fair. Just be the first yourself. I want to give you a couple of examples of people who I'm talking about. Just about every major company out there has either voiceover professionals or actors or paid actors and responsible parties out there pitching their services. Let me give you an example of everybody we've heard and everybody we know who's not doing that right now. We all know Mike Lindell from the MyPillow. He's the MyPillow guy. Is Mike Lindell the kind of guy who should be out there selling his own product? <laughs> I mean, his voice is worse than mine, if I could say that. He's got a gravelly, deep voice, but he's got that Minnesota accent. He doesn't sound like your typical pitch man. So somewhere along the line, Mike Lindell said, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to give it a shot. And I'm old enough to remember way, way, way back in the 60s and 70s, there was an ice cream chain up in the Northeast called Carvel. Many of you around the country have probably seen Carvel in your local supermarket. They'll have frozen ice creams and ice cream cakes. They were an ice cream parlor up in the Northeast. 
And when they started advertising on TV and radio, their owner, whose name was Tom Carvel, used to do the commercials and he sounded terrible. He was an old Greek man from the Northeast and he sounded just like that. He certainly wasn't your traditional pitch man that should, that would be selling soda or beer or <laughs> automobiles, but it was very effective. Everybody knew his commercials. Go on YouTube. You could probably, to this day, find some Tom Carvel commercials. What about someone like Elvis? Elvis certainly was unlike anybody before his time. So much so that when he came out and he decided to be creative and dangerous and unexpected and first, he was shunned. The cameras weren't allowed to show him from his waist down. He was ripped. Parents would not allow the children to buy Elvis records. Well, we all know today that he's considered one of the pioneers of music, and he's one of the foremost incredible characters and individuals of the 20th century, true American idol. I'm going to give you somebody who's in Hollywood who's a little newer, not nearly as high on the uh, Richter scale as Elvis is, but nonetheless has paved her own way. And it's the actress, comedian, Melissa McCarthy. Now, Melissa McCarthy, as we all know, for those who know her, is a very heavy set woman who does a lot of physical comedy. Well, in this age of wokeness and um, acceptance, it works out fine. But when she first started, we weren't quite there. And there was a lot of push for her a lot of body shaming going on for her to lose weight because nobody will accept a woman who was as overweight appearance-wise as she was. But she didn't care. She was going to pave her own way and she was going to chart her own path. And she worked her butt off at the physical comedy and at making a brand for herself. She wasn't trying to be the next anyone else. She was trying to be the first Melissa McCarthy. And to this day... She has succeeded in her comedy, both on and off screen, because people respect her. Those are perfect examples. I'm a big baseball guy, so I'm going to indulge you for a few minutes, or I'm going to ask you to indulge me, and I'm going to give examples over the last, let's just call it the last six decades in baseball, going back to the 60s. And I'm going to give you six examples of pitchers who even though they were doing the same thing, which is throwing a baseball from 60 feet, six inches away, they all did it in a very, very unique fashion. Not only did they do it different from each other, but they did it different from everybody else who's ever come before them or after them. If you're a baseball fan, you'll appreciate this. If you're not, I'm sorry, look them up. You'll understand why it means so much to me because I'm a baseball nut. First guy I want to talk about is somebody from the 60s called Juan Marichal. He pitched for the, the uh, San Francisco Giants way back. Juan Marichal had a huge leg kick. And when he went into his windup, his leg at the top of his windup was standing almost vertical to the ground to the point where he looked like he was a rocket. And he was the only guy who ever kicked his leg that high. But then when his leg came down and his arm came forward, he was unhittable. He's in the Hall of Fame. Just about all these guys I'm going to talk about are either in the Hall of Fame, should be in the Hall of Fame, 
or didn't make the Hall of Fame because of, you know, one or two reasons, but they're all really, really knowledgeable baseball people. And anybody who knows baseball has knows these names and knows these nuances. So Juan Marichal had a leg kick. Nobody's ever kicked their legs like that. Into the 70s, we had a pitcher called Luis Tiant. Luis Tiant was famous. He pitched for the Boston Red Sox. He was famous for literally in the middle of his windup, turning his entire back to home plate so that the batter was literally looking at his numbers. His face was facing second base. So when he finally uncoiled, his arm was coming out of nowhere, and he was very unhittable as well. Very unique th throwing style. Staying in the 70s, there was a pitcher called Mark Fidrich. If you've never heard of Mark Fidrich, and many of you probably haven't, you got to look him up. Google Mark Fidrich, F-I-D-R-Y-C-H. His nickname was The Bird, Mark The Bird Fidrich, because he was tall, he had wild blonde hair coming out of his baseball cap, and he looked like Big Bird. And that's when Sesame Street was getting really popular. So he was called Mark The Bird Fidrich. Mark Fidrich used to talk to the baseball, talk to his glove, and then kind of talk to the hitter as well. Very animated on the mound. He would pound his glove and he would throw the ball into his mitt and he would kind of just do this kind of mantra and he would slap his hands together and then run to the mound and get ready to throw. He was a very intimidating style because we're talking about a time in baseball in the 60s and 70s where everything was traditional. If you didn't act a certain way, you weren't considered a true ball player. And Mark Fidrich broke that mold and he was good enough that he could have done it anyway. This is just what he chose to do. And he was so unique. He was so good that he was the best pitcher in baseball for two straight years. Unfortunately, his career burned out really quickly due to arm troubles and other personal issues. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. But for those couple of years, he was by far the best pitcher in baseball. Moving into the 80s, there was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. His name was Fernando Valenzuela. And Fernando Valenzuela was an unknown, unheralded rookie who came out of the Mexican leagues, and the Dodgers discovered him. And he wasn't all that athletic. He was kind of chubby. He looked more like a bowler than he did a baseball player. But he did this thing with his head and his eyes that as he was in the middle of his windup, he would lift his head to the heavens and he would stare straight up in the sky as he threw the ball. Now, anybody who knows baseball knows that most pitchers, the entire time of their warm-up, they're staring at the catcher's mitt and they're staring at that little target of the mitt because that's basically the area they want to throw the ball. Well, he would take his eyes totally off and stare up at the clouds and then come right back. His eyes would only catch just as he was releasing the ball. Well, guess what? Fernando Valenzuela won several Cy Young Awards and was a multi-multi-year All-Star. Incredible pitcher. Moving on into the 90s, into the 2000s, there was a pitcher for the Yankees called Mariano Rivera. Just a little trivia note, Mariano Rivera was the first player ever selected to the Hall of Fame with every single vote. They called him a unanimous selection. Yes, even Babe Ruth did not make the Hall of Fame with a unanimous selection. There's a lot of politics in that. I don't want to get into that, but that's just a little trivia note. Mariano Rivera wasn't anything special. He was a skinny 
kid from Panama who came up in the Yankee system as a starter, and then they realized they want to make him a reliever because he doesn't throw a lot of different pitches. When you're a starting pitcher, you need to throw three or four different pitches. Well, Mariano Rivera only threw one pitch. I'm not joking. He only was able to throw one type of pitch. But for 15 years, he threw one pitch better than anybody in baseball history has ever thrown four pitches. He holds the record for saves. He holds the record for least number of runs allowed. And there's a statistic. He's pitched in seven World Series. In all the World Series he's pitched, which is upwards of over 20 games, more guys have walked on the moon than have scored a run against him in the World Series. That's an incredible statistic. That's how great Mariano Rivera was. And what he did different, he just perfected one pitch so that every batter knew it was coming and they couldn't do anything with it. Finally, right now, there's a player whose name is Shohei Otani. And he's doing something right now that hasn't been done in well over 100 years. He's a player who's a full-time pitcher, and he's also a full-time hitter. He's a, the first player since Babe Ruth to actively on a roster be a pitcher and a hitter. He's so good at what he's doing that he actually made the all-star team as both a hitter and a pitcher. He's one of the top 10 hitters in the American League, and he's got a winning percentage and a high strikeout ratio as a pitcher. So the thing that makes him unique is he's actually breaking the mold. By the time you get to the minor leagues, you're pigeonholed. You're either a pitcher or you're a hitter. He said, no way, I'm going to do both. And he came over from Japan, and for the last three years, he's been doing both. You have to look him up. Shohei Otani. I describe people who were creative. They were dangerous. They were unexpected. They were the first. But more than anything else, they were themselves. To this day, people want to know who's going to be the next Mark Fidrich. Who's going to be the next Juan Marichal? Who's going to be the next Mariano Rivera? Those things are said. Don't say, I want to be the next great restoration professional. Say, I just want to be the first me. Do those things in your business that allow you to exploit your talents. Everything you need to succeed is inside of you. You just need to unleash it. I really appreciate your time on this Crestcast, and on behalf of everybody at the Crest Network, thanks for joining us. I look forward to talking to you next time.